Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's about 7,000 houses and homes across and families across Cork City and County right now heading into the most nervous hour of the entire year before at 10 o'clock that evening's heard results will be out. I think it's 10 o'clock, isn't it, that they are being released? And then you'll get them in the schools in an actual hard copy at some point during the day. Good luck to everyone. We will talk about the Leaving Cert later on in the morning. Also, there's a name to remember, Lily Ag. It was her header that has put Ireland into the playoffs, guaranteed them a place in the playoffs. Lily's nana was from Cork and she's a woman called Breda Green and that is how Lily qualifies to play for Ireland. See, we've got we've got a stake in everything here in Cork, so we have. Good morning, Friday, 0818 96 96 96, the number. The text to WhatsApp, 083 396 96 96, the email opinion at 96fm.ie. Front page of The Echo has it this morning, electric shock. The only thing about that headline is that it's not a shock anymore. And that's what's being even more bothersome. Is that's is it the third company this week to announce another huge hike in prices as Electric Ireland puts the gas up 37.5%, the electricity up 26.7%. The average lecky bill will go up 37 euro a month, the average gas bill 43 euro a month. And that's on top of whatever else we've been hit with over the last 12 months. The price of gas and electric has just gone crazy. And it's gone to a point now where businesses are saying it's unsustainable. And I'm sure ordinary families are already struggling to sustain the electricity bills before the weather gets cold, before the weather gets wet. People are dreading the winter. Charlie Weston joins me, personal finance editor of the Irish Independent. Charlie, is there any sign of this slowing down at all? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Um, I wish I could say there is, you know, there is slight good news in the fact that, we, we, you know, the rocketing wholesale gas prices, excuse me, gas prices of the last few days, they've come back a bit because the Germans have managed to fill up their um, tanks of, of, you know, their storage of gas. They've got virtually all they need to keep them going for the winter. So that, so that was important. Uh, but the problem is the Russians, and we're very dependent in Europe on Russian gas, even if we don't use it in Ireland, yeah. um, it still affects the price. Um, 
the, the Russians have, you know, it looks like they're just shutting down the supply. Now, I know in February we were, we're supposed to stop using Russian gas, but in the meantime, you know, it's going to be a difficult couple of months until this is sorted out. So um, gas is, wholesale gas is, is up 700% according to ESP Electric Ireland. And the wholesale gas is used to power half of the power stations in the country. When the wind doesn't blow and we've had a fairly mild summer, as you know, we haven't had much wind. We depend on the old gas to get to to to, to get the, the the system going, you know. And so, if we have a a, a not very windy winter, we're going to be using a lot of gas. Um, it, you just hope there's a bit of puff out there so that those wind farms can make a decent contribution. Because at the moment, they're not making a huge contribution, but they are benefiting from huge prices because they get the same price that for wholesale electricity that everybody else in the market, the Irish market gets. But how, um, how, how No, this could we, be carnage, PJ. How do we get ourselves into a situation, Charlie, where you and I are sitting here literally talking about praying for wind to keep the lights on? How did we get know, into that situation? It's a very messy situation. I mean, part of it is, you, you know, it's not just the Russians. It's We've mismanaged our own electricity system. We, we should have built a few more gas-fired fossil fuel power stations, but we stopped building those. We've had various kind of um, tenders put out there, be a speed bid for some of them and then pulled out. Uh, you know, the, the, So the situation is very tight as, as supply goes. And then we're overly dependent on gas, uh, you know, and gas prices have gone through the roof due to the shock of, uh, well, initially the mess that COVID created for the economies around the world and supply chains. And then the, the Russians have, uh, are playing roulette with, with, with our system. They're, they're trying to bring down the Western system, essentially, by because they know we're so dependent on their gas. We got ourselves in a mess by being too dependent on gas. Uh, the system is all wrong. It's been designed the wrong way. So we're having to run Money Point, which should have been shut down. It's a, it's a dirty coal-fired power station down uh, you know, in the Shannon. That should be shut down. But uh, we, we, we're very dependent on it, and we're very dependent on wind. And, of course, we closed the peat stations. Good reasons to close them, um, but environmental reasons. But... God, we could do with them at the same time. Well, that's the so, point. Yeah, it's we, a mess. We've, we've gone down the environmental route, and, and rightly so, but we've gone down it to the point where now we're faced with a crisis and the old school way of generating lecky could have saved our skins for a few months. It could have, but I mean, I don't see any going back to Pete Station no, no, for a start no, anyway. Just saying uh, that. You know, and, no, you're absolutely right though, PJ, you are right. Uh, we have got ourselves in a fix now, and uh, we have an all Ireland energy market. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a system for uh, north and south energy, but that's not saving us at the moment. Um, you know, and, and and all of these any project we build, we're getting emergency generators in that'll take a while. We're building a new pipe over to France to import and export energy, uh, that'll take a while. Uh, it takes years, and um, we need we, we probably will build another gas fired power station. That's going to take a while. And Eamon Ryan, the minister for the environment, is finally coming around. To, to, the, to the view that we need to be able to store liquefied natural gas, LNG. Uh, he's opposed that for so long in case we use frack gas, uh, you know, which is environmentally horrible. But um, uh, but we need to be storing gas. So mm-hmm. we're in a mess and, and the punter is going to pay for it. We're going to pay dearly for this in this winter. We're, our le- lecky is doubled, you know. Uh, the, 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 the electricity bill is up 1,100 euros if you're with Electric Ireland and, and it's the biggest beast in, in our market, 1.2 million customers. Let, Gas bills up something similar and your home heating oil has doubled in the, since if, if you filled the tank since last year. It's now nearly, I look at, looking at prices yesterday, 1,400 euros for 1,000 litres. I mean, that's just savage. 
Let's go through a few things that people don't often get and don't understand. First of all, Charlie, the the enormous eye-watering profits being made by certain companies. And here we are being told, oh, we have to put up the price of gas, or sorry, the price of electric, because the ga- enormous profits being made, and yet the punter is 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 facing these these bill hikes. Can you explain why? Yeah, well, one of the things that saddens me the most is that we sold Borgosh for a song, for a song. Uh, we were sold to Centrica, this British company. We were forced to sell it by the IMF, blame the bank. So much of our problems, uh, we still have problems, uh, are to do with the banks and the mess they got us into. Um, so we sold them for a song. Uh, and we sold that for a song, and it's it, it, it's quite profitable, even though it had it, one of its big power stations out of action last year. Its profits were up 70%. We didn't sell Electric Ireland ESB, and it's still majority owned by the state. Staff have a small stake, but it made profits last year. Operating profits were up 10% to, wait for it, PJ, 679 million euros. Mm. Now, we own this company, and to be fair to them, they, they pay a whack of a dividend to the government, and that was up by half last year to 126 million euros. If you put a windfall tax on a company like that, they'll just pay a smaller dividend to the government. So all you're doing is shifting the same money around. Right. And their argument is they need to put money back into investing in the infrastructure, which is desperately in need of, you know, um, the, the, the network and the pipes and et cetera, and the distribution and network, and also farm wind farms and offshore and all that renewable stuff. So, that you know, they say they need to invest a lot of money. They can't not have profits. But, I mean, I just wonder how much of their own cost base they've examined before yeah. they whacked on those 27% increases in electricity yesterday, yeah. and, yeah. you know, the fifth increase. And remember, they increased their prices in August as well, so mm. to this summer alone. So, you know, did they examine their own cost base? I just wonder about that. They you also know, made I mean, that announcement yesterday as the story was breaking literally at the same time in The Guardian that wholesale gas prices in Europe are to fall. They're falling a bit. They certainly are falling. As, as I was saying earlier, the Germans have managed to get their storage capacity up to very near where they need it. And they are falling back. And, and we don't know whether that's going to continue. That's the problem, PJ. I mean, mainly the, 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 the trajectory of the wholesale gas prices has been upwards. If we're lucky and it starts falling back, the, you know, will they cut prices? I think I doubt it. You know, one of them yeah. did commit to that. Uh, SSE or Trissy, I think it was, said, if look at if wholesale gas prices come back, we will cut our prices back. So, you know, we, th- that will have to be almost forced on them with threats of legislation. Now, if wholesale gas prices start coming back dramatically, I think the government need to stand up and say, you guys cut your prices or else we're going to legislate to force you to do it. Well, they need a license uh, you to know, operate in the market, don't they, Charlie? So you do have some power power over them. Another you sh- thing that... You ha- should have. Yeah. Another thing that came out of Europe during the week, and in fairness to Fergal, he's got a good head in his shoulders and he was doing his little best to explain it to me. Maybe you could help me too. And a lot of people. Ursula von der Leyen has said they're going to decouple gas and electric price. What does that mean, Charlie, in plain man's language to someone trying to understand this over their tea and toast? Well, I, you know, my thing is personal finance, so I don't really understand the intricacies of the market. But as I understand it, PJ, and I don't claim to know, as I say, a lot about it, at the moment, the gas price, essentially gas prices set the price of electricity because so much of of, of generation across Europe is, is, is from gas-fired um power stations so gas determines the price so this is why we're in the mess that we're in at the moment wholesale gas prices have 
gone stratospherically high and that's determining the price. So even if you're supplying wind into the grid, you're getting the same the wholesale price for supplying that wind into the grid as the gas fired guys are getting. So you, you, there has to be some a break in that link, basically, so that the price of of the electricity in the market before it's sold on to consumers, once it's fed into the the grid, it doesn't just reflect the price of gas. You, you know, it should reflect the, the the renewals and wherever else has been used to generate electricity. So that's what they're trying to do. It's very technical. It's going to take a while. Yeah. It's it's a good solution, but I don't see that as as, as no. offering us any comfort uh, yeah. over the winter anyway. No, nothing's going to happen this side of the, of the new year, which is which is scary. The other thing too is we can't cut deals. I, and I didn't know this. We can't cut deals with someone like Corrib or a UK supplier. We have to pay the wholesale price we do it's an open market so and it's unregulated every time I put up a, 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 something online about price increases somebody gets on to me and says what's the regulator doing we have an open market we have a free market we don't determine the regulator doesn't determine what prices are are charged to consumers and likewise in the wholesale market where they you know, they feed in the electricity and, and that determines w- w- what, what profit they get and then they sell it on to consumers. That's not determined by the regulator either. The regulator manages the auction, all right, but we don't tend tell them what to charge. So, you know, uh, this is the problem. It's, it's a free market and it's gone crazy at the moment and yeah. it's not working. I mean, the, did it ever work? You know, the idea was to sell off, um, you, you know, uh, privatize uh, some of the companies and uh, uh, allow the market to set its own prices. We got all these suppliers coming into the electricity market, but really it hasn't, you know, that hasn't really worked. They, 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 they kind of, it's rigged against consumers. They offer you discounts if you move around, but if you don't move around, you get totally uh, punished by yeah. these standard tariffs. So yeah. you you still need to switch, even with all of oh, these yeah. crazy price increases, PJ. Oh, yeah. It's so important that people need to switch. Otherwise, you're going to get stuck on what they call a standard tariff, which is, in other words, forget calling oh. it a standard tariff. It's just a rip-off tariff. You need to ring them and say, you need to give me a 30%, 40% discount, or else I'll move to the, to, to somebody else. Or else do move to somebody else if they don't yeah. give it to you. You know, if well, you're out of contract, you, you're just going to get totally uh, clobbered by by, by, yeah. by your energy supplier. Absolutely, you will. Now, I mean, we're also looking, Charlie, aren't we, at, you know, small businesses. I'm thinking of chip shops, pubs, you know, businesses that use a lot of energy. They're all restaurants. They're, they're all going to be in serious trouble this winter if something doesn't happen. There are. I was in. I was working in in in, in Dublin city centre yesterday, and a shop I go into a, a lot. That the, the owner nearly chased me out the, 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 onto the street to tell me a, a horrible story about his energy situation. He has a lot of fridges and chilled cabinets and things. He's a delicatessen and, and you know he's cold drinks etc. There seem to be fridges all over the place. His bill last year in for July last year was three thousand euros for his just his energy just his electricity he got a bill in july this year and it was up to six thousand eight hundred from three thousand to six thousand eight hundred and there's there's a number of increases that have gone through since so he's dreading the next bill he's saying i don't be i won't be able to run this business what do i do you know uh and you know that's a small business it's just going to be clobbered that's carnage for a small business so the government is going to have to come up with it much more than they come up with up to now up to now we've had a an increase in the fuel allowance for people on social welfare. We had the 200 euro credit for um, households. We had a cut in the VAT rate on on gas, but that just ain't going to cut it this time, PJ. You know, businesses and particularly households are going to need a much 
bigger bailout, essentially. We yeah. bail out the banks. We need to bail out uh, households and small businesses this time. We, the, I don't think the scale of this problem has been appreciated mm. by the likes of Eamon Ryan, the Minister for the Environment, and I heard Pascal Donoghue on the on the radio this morning. I'm not sure what he was saying, but I, I just don't think they get the, yeah. how big this yeah. needs to be. Lastly, I was going to ask you that in about 40 seconds, Charlie, because we are heading into a budget and it's been kicked around like a political football. It, the populism on every corner here at this stage. But from your own area of expertise, how can the government help me, the business down the road, you, or how can they help? They're going to have to come up with an enormous package, an absolutely enormous package. I mean, you know, there's an argument for using, you know, this bounty we're getting from corporation tax at the moment. You know, I know... Our cost of borrowing has gone up, but we, we're we in surplus at the moment as an economy. This is an emergency. It's as big as the COVID emergency. We spent $24.6 billion making sure uh, households and businesses didn't sink under the pressure of COVID by having to be forcefully shut down and everybody staying indoors. We need to do something similar again. This is a massive crisis. It'll cause layoffs, business closures. Uh, you know, households will not be able to pay and that laughable three million that the uh, Electric Ireland DSB are putting up as a hardship fund will be eaten up in no time. We need a similar scale rescue or bailout for households and businesses to, to the COVID rescue. All right, Charlie. Thank you. Strong words, Charlie Weston, personal finance editor of the Irish Independent. We need an awful lot more than the tinkering around the edges that the government is looking to do on the twenty seventh of September. Thank you, Charlie. Some of your comments coming in on the cost of electricity and what you think needs to be done. Look, listen to what Charlie just said there, Charlie Weston. He said we're going to need a COVID-style bailout, a COVID-style bailout to get us through the next six months because families will break under pressure, businesses will close under pressure, jobs will be lost under the pressure of the price of energy. It's simply not sustainable. And as I said to you more than once, I personally, this is just me talking for me, I'm an awful lot more worried heading into the winter about the cost of energy and the cost of living than I ever was. And I mean ever about COVID. Maybe in the very early days of COVID-19, when we knew nothing about what it could do to us and we were only discovering these horrible things from around the world. Yes, then we were scared. But the level of worry that I personally have, uh, not for me, thankfully, we've got two good salaries coming into our house. We're lucky, we're privileged, I suppose is a word you could use. But for those around us who don't have money, this is going to be a horrible, horrible, horrible winter and something needs to be done. 0818969696. Weather-wise, I... I expected to get up this morning and find that the lovely weather had broken and I'm looking out the window of Studio One here and it's blue skies and sunshine. It's a little cooler than it was. Blue skies and sunshine yet again. Now, looking at my weather apps, it doesn't look like that's going to continue. It looks like there's a break coming tonight. Let's talk to Cahal Nolan from Ireland's Weather Channel. Cahal, the break is coming and it looks like we're in for a drenching over the next few days. Good morning. A very good morning, PJ. I was certainly, I hope you brought the brolly, perhaps, for the journey on the way back. Even though it's quite nice at the moment across the county, there certainly will be a break as we go through the afternoon and the evening time. Looking ahead, I suppose, for the next couple of days, it really looks like we're in for quite a substantial break in terms of conditions. We've obviously encountered quite dry weather for, indeed, the last number of months, really, at this stage. And we can obviously noticeably see that, even in terms of the heights of some of the rivers around about the place, and even in terms of even the colour of the grass in some areas now, that started to turn in the past couple of weeks. But certainly, 
over the course of the weekend and indeed for the majority of next week up until next weekend, we can expect to see pretty unsettled and inclement conditions across mm. the country. Are we looking to get the heavy rain that people are saying we need? We need some heavy rain. We need some sustained hours of rain simply to wet the ground. We certainly do need that rain. I suppose the soil moisture deficits are really starting to climb up in many parts of the country now. And of course, obviously, even mentioned in the, in the west of the county, there's the uh, hosepipe ban, I believe, in place mm. in, in many parts of the county. Certainly over the course of the weekends and into next week, we will see substantial quantities of rain falling. It looks as though we we'll basically have a, a stationary area of low pressure, either directly over or pretty close to the country. So while it won't be continuous rain throughout, it will be heavy showery rain at times. So you could get one or two breaks, I suppose, one or two nice periods of weather let's say and even in the middle of the low pressure there won't be too much wind when you're directly in the centre of the low but for the majority of the week it is a case of trying to dodge some rather heavy bouts of rain that will be about the place. Mm. It's not cold though I mean yes, it's cooler this morning by a couple of degrees as I'm sitting into the car but by the afternoon it's still quite comfortably mild uh, for the time of year. It's certainly it certainly is. I suppose one of the reasons for that at the moment is as this low pressure system develops, initially we'll find ourselves on the eastern side of it. So our winds will be coming in from a predominantly southerly direction. So it is drawn up some, I suppose, um, I suppose partially tropical air, let's say, has been filtered into this system initially. As the low pressure moves in across the country, then temperatures may dip back a little bit, but it still will feel, I suppose, pretty mild, especially if you catch any of the sunnier spells, let's say, in between those bouts of heavy rain. It will still feel pretty warm for the time of year in any prolonged spells of sunshine. Now, Europe is still very hot, parts of Europe still very hot, and some of the models you would look at are saying that once this drenching is done and once this low that will be sitting over us uh, spends itself, as it were, Cahill, we could be looking at another pleasant week to 10 days come mid-September. I know it's a, a long way ahead to look, we're not winter isn't upon us just yet is what people seem to be saying it's certainly not upon us just yet and indeed if you do look at the long term forecast at the moment we're talking about as a period of unsettled weather let's say commencing from this afternoon to evening in many parts of the country and continuing up until around about the end of Thursday into the early stages of Friday next week but from then on it does appear as though an area of high pressure is trying to build back into place and if that builds back into place certainly it looks like a good hangabout for certainly a week or two maybe so bringing another spell of settled weather so it's a case of I suppose if you are certainly a fan of more settled conditions and warmer conditions of just seeing out this week let's say and then we do have a little bit of drier weather to look forward to hopefully as we get to the end of next week. You know the way people always look at each month of the year here in Ireland, Cahill, and we wonder what we're getting. Uh, we've had a July and August that, look, it has suited those like me who like the sunshine and like the dry weather. But always you could look at September and say, September can be very nice. September was often the saviour of a bad summer. Are we lucky September-wise in Ireland generally? Typically speaking, I suppose, if you were to push me and say the two periods of the year in which are nearly guaranteed pretty decent weather, you would typically go for towards the end of May into early June, obviously, mm -hmm. or leave and serve weather, we would call it, and uh, back to school weather, let's say, when we go in September as well. Uh, typically, that does work out to be the case more often than not, that we do tend to see, I suppose, more settled conditions through into the month of September. Um, what would be unusual, I suppose, about it this year is that typically when we get a very nice September, it often, as you said, comes off the back of, let's say, a spell of unsettled weather as we get towards the month of August. Typically, 
August can be rather disappointing indeed in Ireland. Yes. Uh, typically, if you look back over the climatological record, so to have a good September, let's say, potentially coming off the back of what was a pretty good summer, let's say, in terms of July and August at least, uh, it would be a little bit more unusual. July and August have been the most consistently dry and pleasant, I would say, since possibly certainly the early 80s, if not 1976, that, that one we all talk about. So, Carl, let's, let's talk about the, the elephant in the room, as it were, climate change. Are we looking at more summers like we've just had? I suppose the evidence, let's say, even that we've seen over the past number of years in terms of the prevalence or in terms of the magnitude, let's say, of these kind of, let's say, there's individually, let's say, the heat wave conditions. But then over the, if you look at the longer term patterns in terms of rainfall, it certainly is a case that during the summer season, we're typically seeing less and less rainfall. That is a trend that has been observed and certainly the scientific evidence would point towards that becoming more of the norm as we go through the coming decades, as opposed to let's say, what we typically would have expected, a more balanced approach in terms of our rainfall throughout the year. And obviously that leads to then issues with regards to water supply as we go into a period of uncertainty, let's say, of surrounded by climate change in which there's obviously large-scale changes going to be needed or upgrades in terms of water systems across the country and how we use and manage it. The fortunate aspect, I suppose, in some sense is that we do expect to see more rain during the winter seasons, in which case if we become better, let's say, at pooling that or reserving yeah. it at times, then it should be able to see us through any of the summer droughts that we are likely to experience. But yeah. of course, that comes with good water management. And sadly, I don't think we're quite up to that level yeah. just yet. I'm, th I'm thinking to myself that uh, something that pretty much every household now should be considering is a water butt or two and, and run the drains into it. And that way, when it dries up in the summer, you can water your plants out of the water butt. That kind of thing. Absolutely. Something as simple and as basic as that can be a good step towards working in the right direction. And of course, then obviously there's the more large scale changes that, that are needed in terms of infrastructure, both in terms of new piping or eliminating leaks that exist in the system at the moment. I think nationally, if you look at it, the figures are a little bit absurd in terms of the amount of yeah. water that's lost to the ground yeah. directly. Yeah. So going forward, certainly that's something that needs to be addressed. But we, as we, we said, and obviously if we were talking about before we came on, finances are seemingly exceptionally tight in, yeah. in every circumstance at this yeah. particular time. Yeah. Locally, we had two leaks in one suburb there in the last couple of days, uh, just two severe leaks, and it's happening everywhere. And the, it's the ones that come over the ground that we see, the ones that are underneath that we never see are the more serious ones. So, Cahill, to sum up again and just to wrap up, it's going to break by the end of the day and looks fairly grotty until this day week. Fair summary, fairly grotty into this day next week and then at that particular point in time it looks as though high pressure starts to build back in and we hopefully see a little bit more settled weather before we get into the, the true depths of autumn, let's say. All right, okay, thank you much. Cahill Nolan from Ireland's Weather Channel. I'm going for a weekend in the west of Ireland, West Cork actually, West Cork, I'm going to West Cork in the middle of September and I'm hoping against hope I'll get nice weather for it. Looks like it will too. But uh, next, so look out at that. Treasure that. Treasure what's out there now. It's gorgeous. Get out and have a walk in it. Do whatever. Enjoy that. Because it's going to break by tea time or by overnight tonight at the latest. And you're looking at mucky crap for the next week. But then, but then it might be back. It might be back. 0818 96 96 96. Siobhan sent us an email with regard to her electricity, she got a bill from Energia 
for 99 euro. Shamal, what period was that for? You didn't say. I'm assuming it was for the most recent one, which was your summer bill. That's, that's, that's good. 99 euro. Kate says, where do they think the money's going to come from? It's not elastic. Wages only go so far. Will they throw us in jail when we can't pay? See? Will they cut us off when we can't pay? On the front page of the papers today, there's various things. Like, front page of the mail says, cut back on your use of energy. This is Michal Martin. He's told the public to cut back on energy use. There have been 63 price hikes since the start of last year. And he's saying this is going to continue. So cut back on your use of energy. Yeah. Um, Then Tim Lombard, Senator, has come up with some idea that we should maybe stay in this time zone. As in we shouldn't put the clocks back at the end of October. And we should stay in what you might call summertime for the rest of the year. So we get more daylight at the end of the day. So we don't need the lights on so early in the day. He's in the star talking about that. I think they've been talking to him for the newsroom as well. They're all looking at ideas to save and cut back on the use of electricity. But they're doing nothing about helping us to get through the mess. Quick one for you for the weekend. Volunteer riders serving the community. The Blood Bike South people. Wonderful people. The annual Concagney Memorial Bike Run is this Sunday, September 4th, to Senec West Cork. Registration at half nine, a two-wheel training next to the dog track, leaving at 11, stopping at Bantry for refreshments, Planet Kilty for fuel and for food. A registration, 20 quid on the day, or through I Donate via the link on social media. Well done to the people at Blood Bike South for all that they continue to do. I hope it won't be rained out uh, on, on Sunday, but great people. People. 0818969696. We're about 18 minutes away now from the release of the results. They'll come out first on this online portal for results. Fingers, toes, and anything crossable crossed that it won't crash at two minutes past ten, which it almost will. You can always be sure it'll crash at three minutes past ten. And then they'll hand them out in the schools a little later. Let us talk with a good friend of the show, uh, Aaron Wolf of Kaloshta Eamon Reish uh, the principal down there. Aaron uh, it's a, it's tense, the next 20 minutes, a big day for students. Oh it is, I tell you you're, you're, you're a real pessimist you're a real pessimist aren't you, thinking the, the system will crash? No I'm a realist um, but listen, I'll, be, I'll be absolutely <laughs> delighted if it doesn't but I won't be at all surprised if it does. Well, what, what? Well, yeah, and you know what students need to do now is make sure they've all got their pins and they can all log on to the system. You know, people who we've had a couple of students ringing up saying, you know, they've forgotten they've what, what was what was my pin yeah. to get onto the system. It used to be but a yeah, thing, look, it's going to be very. Sorry, it used to be a thing where the principal had all the results in a locked box, as it were. Yes. that's gone. That's gone. That's gone. So um, we we could have got the results. We could have collected them ourselves, just for ourselves to get a matrix of the exam results this morning from the post office. But we just wait for them to come in the post. Um, so yeah, students used to come in and they used to be handed the result, which was okay. That had its pros and cons because you know you had to go and the, you know you'd be handed. At least you got a handshake and stuff. But this might be nice that you're with your family and. Um, there's great support there. Uh, like when you used to get them out in school, the guidance counsellor would be here. 
Now, what we're doing later on at half 11, my students are going to come in. We're, we're doing a, a full Irish for them. So the six yeah. years are going to come in yeah. and they'll have um, they'll have a full Irish and the, the guidance council will be on, on hand because what students must do, they get their results, but they must tot up their own CAO results. You're not, you're not given, sorry, you must tot up your own CAO points. Oh. You're not given the break points. You must do that yourself. So students have to do that really, really carefully because that, one mistake new? there, you is that new? No, you always, you always had to tot up your own CAO. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you just take your, your, your H2 and you look, how many points did I get for that? How many points? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so look, we heard that the results are, have, you know, they're saying people, the results are inflated this year, which is good. It's leveled the playing field because the, the and that was committed by the, the Minister of Education because if she hadn't have done that, the students from last year that didn't go to university but would be applying this year would have a major advantage over last year's students. I see. So that's why the results are inflated. Level the playing field. Everyone now is, it's much fairer because obviously the last couple of years of Leaving Cert have been very, very different. Yeah. The education correspondents in the newspapers this morning are in all reporting that the grades are up and they are high, which of course means very high points. And the colleges or the CEO are saying, we're going to be getting into random selection here. That's not sustainable. Random selection. If you get the points, no. you should get the points. Yeah, but I, well, I think Simon Harris, though, he did promise extra college places. So that should drive down the points in some pinch areas, you know, some courses that were oversubscribed that we know are oversubscribed. But yeah, I mean, look, there's the leaving cert's going to be overhauled. I, again, be on the side of why do secondary schools sort out, which is a third level problem. You know, yes. college admissions is not actually a second level problem. Yet we do the, you know, we're in, we we become involved in it. Whereas in American things like that, college admissions is totally separate from your secondary schooling. Yes, yes. So I think there's a lot to be seen there's for that. Intrinsically linked here. Um, so, the, so the the atmosphere, Aaron, there this morning, nervous, excited. There's no one here. No there's, one here yet. There's, there's no one here. No one. They're That's not. They're, 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 they all. They're all at home. They're all at home um, getting their results. So um, they're going to come into us at half eleven. But we, we said, look, stay at home to log on, and then come in. So is there principal? Um, what nervous, used to happen then? as well was, which was. No, not not the students of Colosta Eamon Reach. I'm glad you didn't call it Deer Park for the first time ever, PJ. But well, you um, nearly no, baited into me. That, come on now. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true. I sent you a hat as well. I haven't seen a picture of you wearing it yet. But um, no, the students we had that left, they were a fantastic year group, you know. Um, and look, the Leaving Cert doesn't define you anyway. So look, if someone is disappointed with their results now in, in a couple of minutes, it doesn't define you. There's lots of ways around getting into your college place. And mm. uh, like the Leaving Cert is not the be all and end all. Um, but no, I, we'd be very confident for our students now and we wish them all the best of luck. Um, but yeah, look, that's the big thing. It doesn't define you as a person. I think that's, that's the most important thing you can tell anybody today. Thanks for that. Aaron Wolf, Principal of Cloyster, Eamon Reich. Fergal, I'll take the break now and I'll go to Phil then because otherwise I'll mess up my times. Yeah, I, look, I'm, I know I'm an old cynic uh, with regard to the portal at 10 o'clock. I just have too much experience of these things being put online and then going ah, ah, crash two minutes in. But I hope it doesn't happen. I hope against hope it doesn't happen. 0818 96 96 96. You'll get your results on paper anyway from your school. 
later on in the day. Let's go to another school now. Let us talk to Phil Flynn, who's the principal at Terence McSweeney College in Holly Hill. It's it's a change, Phil. I imagine in pre- previous years you'd have been busy already. Schools are quiet now with nothing coming out till ten. Good morning. Hi, uh, good morning, PJ. How are you? Um, yes, we got our results here this morning, delivered to us hard copy, and we're very happy. Now we're waiting on students coming in. Uh, traditionally, I never used the model of meeting all the students in one big hall. I like to meet them one by one, sit down with them, uh, you know, give them that moment to make sense of what the picture looks like. You know that at any leaving certainty, there are people who are very happy and there are people who are bitterly disappointed. But I liked the fact that Aaron said there, the leaving search shouldn't define you. Indeed. I mean, it is the most stressful exam you'll ever do in your life. Um, I think everybody remembers the yes. morning of their leaving search results. Yes. Um, yes. For good or bad reasons. And it is incredibly stressful for the students. However, I think when you meet them one by one, and, you know, look look at their options. I think that's kind of a more human way to do it. And I'm looking forward now to meeting the students as they drift in here. I just actually opened my office window, saw one boy walking in, and I could just see the nervousness, you know, the anxiety. But I actually did pretty well, so it's good that I've had a chance to view them before I get to talk to them. Yes, yeah. How, how many students do you have coming in, Phil? Yeah, we don't have a lot, actually. Um, I'm just welcome to my new 81st years there, so I'm really pleased. But, uh, you know, we did. We had, I think, a total of 20, 29 students actually taking the leaving search. Um, year on year, we'll be improving on that now. You know, there was a phase there, I suppose, where we were finding it difficult to get students to leaving search. But thankfully, you know, a lot of hard work with parents, a lot of hard work with the community, mm-hmm. uh, hard work with the teachers. And I'd like to thank my teachers here this morning, our staff and our SNAs and our entire staff, actually, mm-hmm. because the support... We invest heavily in our students. They're actually like our own children. We put, we, we, we really put so much into them. And we, I suppose, love then to celebrate with them today. There's more and more now coming in there. I can see them coming Good. in there. Well, I, well, I won't hold you for too long then because I know you've got to go and talk to them. But Phil, something that grinds my gears every year, and I've said this on the show time and time again, tomorrow's newspapers will be full of the 600-point brigade. And well and good, and the blessings of God, and a hundred congratulations to every single one of them. But the papers and the press and the media and the television will be full of the 600-pointers. I'm more interested in the 350 or 400-pointer who's walking on a cushion of air because they never thought they could do it. We never the hear about that person. the learning PJ, yeah. who yeah. actually managed to complete full stop. Yes. I mean, there are people who have huge learning challenges in the Irish educational system. And the reality is, in their case, in many cases, it's a huge achievement to actually succeed, to actually pass the Leaving Cert. So I, I do, I totally agree with you. And I love that piece that was, in the paper there last year and people were quoting it about, you know, that reality is that now these students are set free of that system in a way and are invited to uh, be who they are. You know, I mean, I, I've taught here in terms of my community college. I've taught another uh, all-girls school at one point and the reality was I saw students there opt for law and really their talent lay in the arts and uh, drama area. So I think that can be actually very sad that somebody ends up, you know yourself. Uh, one of the boys in my school said to me, actually, at the start of the summer, I said, what are you going to do? And he said, I hope I get a job 
working for somebody I like doing what I love. I thought that is just a great recipe for happiness, actually. You'll never work um, a day in your life if you end up there. <laughs> well, that's the truth. That's just what they say. If you like what you do, if you love what you do, in my case, I absolutely adore what I do. I love being principal here. I love the energy, the buzz. I love the honesty. I love the relationship we have with the students. Uh, it's so much meaning every day. I mean, I just, I just absolutely love working here, as do most of the staff. They love it here. They just love, uh, you know, the engagement they have with the students. And when I heard that boy say that, you know, I hope I end up working at a job I love for somebody I like. I thought, it's so mature, actually, isn't it? Yeah. That He's kind got of his head screwed on. Yeah, absolutely. And he'll go places. Yeah. And I know that there are other students here. And, you know, you know, they're, they're going into the apprenticeship route. They're making a variety of choices. And the reality is, you know, I, I would say we don't know where they'll actually end up eventually. And there are many routes now, I think, are in reference to there earlier as well. You know, if, if students today don't get the entry level into, into um, university and they go the further education route, they might end up actually taking a course or working on a job that actually gives them greater satisfaction. Yeah. I saw it with own fa- my own family members who actually you know, didn't get the points for something that their heart set on, chose another route and now love it. So I, I, I do think as well, they're young, you know, I mean, leaving starts there, 18, 19, it's quite a difficult age really to decide what you're They're only big babies, the really. They're only exactly. big babies. Really, they Exactly. Are. I, I, that's you know I wouldn't like to be calling them big babies, but <laughs> the reality is, you know, I mean, you can see that at eighteen, I think, what you know, really, that the world is all in front of you. Yeah, but you know what? When you, when you when you and I tell them that, they look at us and they say, "Oh God, old people at it again." Oh, when you, anyone you know, over forty is ancient, <laughs> you do know that, PJ, don't you? Phil, <laughs> good luck to everybody up there. They're coming in now, so I'd say go and yeah, I can see go, them now. Go, okay, go and talk to them and look much. after them. Thank you very much. Yeah, they're heading up there to uh, Terence McSweeney now. Up, still coming in with regard to the price of energy after talking to Charlie Weston there uh, from the Irish Independent earlier on in the first hour. Something is going to have to be done to help families and businesses to survive these crazy, crazy prices. For hotel on businesses, for hotels, it's not just energy, says this call. We still have an insurance crisis. A hotel's insurance is now nearly €5,000 a month more than it was in 2019. That is just unsustainable. And Neil Grant, who is the gaffer at the wonderful Celtic Ross in West Cork, has been tweeting about the price of electricity, and it is a serious eye-opener. So, for the Celtic Ross, the electric bill in July 2019, this is according to uh, Neil on his Twitter, the Celtic Ross electric bill in July 2019 was €7,700. In 2021, it was €8,324. So that's up just under a grand, up around, what, €800. They've just got their bill for July 2022. Are you ready for this? So it went from 7700 to 8300 to 18,262 for a month. That's all due to the ongoing increases. That is just bananas. 
absolutely bananas. And yes, we've come down hard on the hotel sector over the last few months for the price of rooms and the price of food and the price of all of that. But that is a reality check. 8,000 something this month last year or this period last year. 18,000 now. A lot of places won't survive that. 0818 96 96 96. Back to the leaving cert. Crossing to Kloster Stefan Nefa. Uh, Shane Lahan. Shane, how many students there roughly awaiting their results this morning? Well, uh, PJ, good to talk to you. And to um, you. We're actually waiting the results here because we're kind of the avenue where they, they come to, particularly for those who maybe haven't got their, um, got the leaving cert, maybe not got their university place. Mm. We're kind of one of the, the lovely alternatives in further education where of they course. might come and, and take on a, a different pathway. You know, yeah. uh, PJ, there's, I, I heard there, there was in, in your news report, you know, the plan B and so on, uh, you know, maybe repeating, but there's actually an alternative to repeating those leaving certs. Mm. I, I often think it's a, sometimes when I meet these lovely students that we get here, it, it's a blessing in disguise because we, we take on uh, students who may be initially very disappointed today when they get the results, maybe when their CAO offer comes out, they're not going to get where they wanted to. And they're they're looking for another way to follow their dreams. Yeah. And we're out in Tremor Road campus here, out in CSN. We're, we're a gang that we have over 30 years experience, PJ, of looking after people here and mm. um, taking them in. Uh, making sure, giving them plenty of, of guidance, uh, training them up. Sometimes I refer to it as boot camp. <laughs> you know, yeah. We bring them in and, uh, you know, we, we teach them how to how to improve their, their, their skills, their areas. And they usually end up going out the other do- out the door in a much better place than they came and getting their place in university or indeed going into employment. So mm-hmm. that's what we're about. So, so you don't actually have any Leaving Cert students at, at CSN. It's all post-leaving with yeah that's it and like we're like i suppose one of the reasons that i think that we're kind of in in the in people's minds eye today is that there's huge emphasis always on going directly into university getting that the highest grade possible getting getting into that area we're kind of an area when when people will come in here pj and we provide courses like everything from say digital media or even dance or music my, my own area which is cultural studies we, we teach some like archaeology, folklore, history, stuff which isn't necessarily mainstream. And we're kind of providing, I think, an academic year where students can actually grow in themselves and look to see what they might like to do. They might change their perspective of what they would want at university. But the good thing is that there's direct pathways from all the wonderful courses that we have right into university, into the higher education areas as well. So the message to anybody with their leaving cert, and look, the portal is open about just under 12 minutes now, so very, very early (laughs) days. But for someone tonight with their leaving cert in front of them, wondering where to go. Is your message, Shane, along the lines of it doesn't matter what's in front of you on that piece of paper, come to us, we'll sort you out? 
Well, that's like that's been my experience, PJ. I, I always say to people, I've got the Carlsberg job because the energy and the enthusiasm, I love to see those students coming in initially disappointed and the joy that we get from watching them uh, progress, from watching them reestablish that sense of, of inner belief and so on. And when they go on to university or when they go on to whatever they end up doing, they are full with that year of Maturing, maturing um, of understanding that, like the leaving search is quite, and, and that, God, if I had to do it, PJ, I'd be in trouble because it's such a rigorous and mm-hmm. difficult exam mm-hmm. to do. When, when you come back, we're about taking that year out to reappraise what you want, what you want to do, and reimagining yourself, reinvesting yourself, building back maybe some of the confidence that someone would need. And like it's 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 a very very difficult time. I I we we in the next uh, no, we have walk-in interviews at the moment, PJ, just to say to you today and all next week. And in fact, it's not just an interview. If there is if there are parents out there, if there are uh, you know people who are, who want to come in, sit down. We'll make them a cup of coffee. We'll have a chat. We'll tell them about all the courses that we do. We'll tell them about the pathways that we have here. And you know what? We have a reputation. We pride ourselves on looking after uh, students who, 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 you know, who are in a kind of a, a quandary. And we will make sure that they, they get on the pathway that they want to go on. Mm. What kind of courses? Just um, the, the, the first half a dozen that come to mind. We know there's yeah, the radio listen. broadcasting course. My goodness, you take half our jobs office in, in a few years' time with the fantastic people coming out of there. But there's sound, there's all sorts of other things. There is. And, you know, um, PJ, that's what makes it exciting. Like, I, I walk down the hall here and there could be a group of ballet dancers going down, coming towards me. We could have the music management and sound course jamming away. You know, you have the podcast students, you know, that are in there and um, the journalism. Like, we have then people in white coats doing their biology. We have horticulturalists. You have people doing art, craft and science. Furniture making. My goodness, you should see the beautiful pieces of work that they have. We have people doing equestrian studies, soccer, sports, like this is, it's what a wonderful, we're probably the best kept secret in Cork. That's what I think. Out on the Tremor Road, out in CSN, you know, the people who come here, they know about it, they've experienced it. But, you know, I'm interested today in, in letting letting uh, students know, letting mums and dads know that there's another place. It's like a mini university, but it's better because we've got small uh, class groups, you know, 20, 25 students tops. And we're very, we, we have build a relationship. We've got a wonderful canteen here. We've got all sorts of, all you know, clubs and societies. There are grants available, all the things that you need that, that you can think of. You know, mm. we've got a, a green campus. Uh, we've got wonderful learning supports in particular for students who might have particular learning challenges. Again, we're very proud of our ability to bring students who might, who might have certain, uh, you know, certain challenges that they've made up to now, we take that on board and we help them along. So, look, it's just a super, super alternative. And the whole further education sector is something I think that a lot of people think they they think there's a one stop shop at the university level. I would say to you, there's a halfway house here where you can come in and just get yourself established. And the students that we have, when they go on, they usually do way, way, way better, you know? Mm-hmm. All right, Shane, listen, a con- continued success with the great work that you do. It's, it's known now as the Cork College of Further Education and Training, Tremor Road Campus, but I think it'll always be known as Stefan Neffe uh, around 
Cork. All people will always call it CSN or Stephen Nefer. Thank you, Shane. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. So, will you have the results in front of you today, or in front of your young person today? And they might not necessarily be university stuff. They might not necessarily be MTU or UCC stuff. But if they want to try something else, send them off out. Send them off out there and they'll find something for them. 0818 96 96 96. Just on the price of electricity and what's going on. Uh, yeah, the government getting an extra 6,000 a year rise. That'll pay for their energy bills and they lose nothing. Unless they had low paying jobs with no benefits or allowances, they won't know what it's like to struggle. That's from Valerie. And William Healy says... Tesla have a new battery called the Gateway. It costs between 10 and 12k. It could provide 90% of an average household's power during the day because it stores it from the nighttime when rates are cheaper. Why aren't we building hydro is another thing he raises. The youth should be out protesting to help their parents to get something done but the constant price rises. I like the idea though <coughs> excuse me, of storing up battery power overnight from when the electricity is cheaper. I mean, if you remember the old-fashioned, they're horrible, to be honest, they are horrible now, but remember the old-fashioned storage heaters that were on the walls of many a house? They were just blocks. If you open them up, they're just blocks, concrete blocks. And during the night, they heat up using cheap nighttime electricity, and then they release the heat during the day. Why couldn't we be storing? That's not a bad idea. Storing up power in batteries from the overnight rate to use during the day. Thanks, William. Might look at the cost of the battery. Who's got 10 or 12 grand to drop on a battery? That's the other side of it. 0818 96 96 96. You can still get storage. I know you can, Virgil. You can still get storage heaters. I hate them, though. It's awful. Is it just me or is it an awful dry heat that comes off them? I don't know. I don't know. 0818969696. Eugene also says with regard to the leaving cert, what annoys me about the exam? You spend hours, weeks, years learning to do it. And then you only spend about 20 minutes, 15 to 20 minutes, correcting it. Yeah. Oh, I know. Have you looked around lately at the number of green spaces in our city? If you did, and then compared it back to maybe a few years ago, you'd find that they are in decline. And we're about to lose another one with this big redevelopment of Bishop Lucy Park in the years to come. And yeah, I know Bishop Lucy Park can be an awful dump at times. It can be dirty and filthy. We've talked about that. But still, it's a green space and could be used as such. There's a new group called the Making Space for Nature in Cork City Group have gotten together to promote green spaces in the city and to demand that as the city develops, we also keep green spaces and find and make more of them. Bernie Connolly joins me. Bernie, good morning. Good morning, PJ. This was prompted by the decision to uh, interfere with the size of Bishop Lucy Park, wasn't it? Um, it was really, and I suppose maybe it was more the straw that broke the camel's back of um, our, our um, partner in kind of, I suppose, bringing this coalition together, um, Neve Guyrie. And I suppose Bishop Lucy Park is a funny one, really, because it's not a 
it's not a terrifically, um, how would you say, abundant park. I think we need to define what we need by real green spaces as well, you know. Um, but I think um, I think it was just like another, just another blow, really, that public space was being given over to private um, endeavours, really, and that you know, it, it, it was accumulation of lots of losses that we've seen over the years. And I suppose there has been a build up of, you know, people becoming more conscious as well of where trees are being taken down. And that may be by developers or maybe by individuals even in their own spaces. So it's um, it's not always the local authority, you know. I know um, that it's always nice for the media to, you know, focus in on that. But I think... I think there is a growing um, awareness within communities and for people that we need to also be protecting nature within the city. And whilst we need development, we also um, need to protect very much what's there. And, and, and actually, we need a lot of restoration, too, because it's a much degraded habitat. There's a there's a term, I suppose, PJ, that would be good for people to look at, and it's called the shifting baseline syndrome. And it's basically where gradually we accept as a norm, a much degraded landscape and a much degraded n- nature, you know, mm-hmm. I, and, and we see it all around now, you know, where we are not seeing the bees and the butterflies and the numbers we remember. So that's the type of thing. But actually, it's a gradual um, creep over years and years of not actually giving nature and biodiversity a priority within our urban landscape. And that's changing, which is mm-hmm. great. So it's um, it's really time, though, we felt to, you know, focus in on this to bring people together on it, because it's not about um, really a big campaigning lobby group. It's about um, bringing people together. So we actually did have a meeting on the 9th of July, which is an open public meeting that anyone could come to. That was really um, well attended and really you could see that it was something people needed. People needed to express what they felt about what was happening. People needed to express what they felt about how important nature was to them and why they wanted to see it protected and conserved and restored. And then, you know, out of that came, uh, I I suppose, one of the, which surprised me a little bit, was one of the recommendations out of that was actually we needed a body that could, you know, have the skills and the knowledge to make submissions and to influence Mm. policy because that's what community people were saying to us. I mean, there's fantastic work being done in communities and a lot of them have really good biodiversity plans at a local level, but they felt it was the gap between, say, policy and legislation that was where they felt they weren't as well equipped as Mm. they needed to be. So that prompted um, what we're going to try and do now and replicate what we have in Cork, which is fantastic for transport, the Transport and Mobility Forum, um, to have the same for nature and to bring together agencies, organisations that have a role and have, um, yeah, a role and a function with regard to that, but also that we bring this together because, uh, um, you know, we need a whole of society approach and Mm -hmm. we need a whole approach to this not people working in silos but actually coming together Mm -hmm. and we're all we're all trying to do the same thing and I think nobody is against this I think this is something that actually the city council is very supportive of you know um, the agencies like the National Parks and Wildlife Service the you know Inland Fisheries Ireland that's their day-to-day job and you know, I think it's really important to come together more so on this May issue. Look at, uh, just one thing that comes up: you mentioned that you mentioned development, and there's also the question of of progress. So a city has to develop; it has to make progress; it has to grow as a commercial center. 
um, jobs and businesses and all that. So th- that side of the city has to grow and develop. Your belief, I, I think it is, Bernie, is that you can actually have both. You can have the development, you can have the progress, you can have the modern building and the modern developments, and you can have green spaces with, next to and around them. Yes, for sure. And and it's about how you make decisions around how that land is used and where that development takes place. And what you we don't need is erosion, further erosion of areas which are really, I suppose, like they're, they're remaining rare, unique segments of really wonderful green space. And recently we had um, cause to make a submission on a strategic housing development in the Kilbarry area for that very reason, that part of that, most of that site actually, in fact, is a really wonderful space for nature. And also there would be areas of that site which would be appropriate for recreation and amenity space for people. And we know now how important um, green space being in nature is for for people as well for their health and well-being. So I mean, cities need to look after people's health and well-being as well. And we can't just have development randomly everywhere because everyone's crying out for housing. You know, it has to be appropriate. And it creating kind of in that situation, it's creating a car dependency as well. So we're just going to increase traffic and not have people living in in good spaces. So we can have both, for sure we can have both. I mean, we see the dereliction in the city. Yeah. We There's there's a lot other people, you know, working on that and really, you know, doing a great job in, in highlighting that. So we need to address those issues and we also need to develop areas that are more appropriate for housing. And I think... I think where things fall down, you know, the city council has a good um, city development plan. They did make a few last minute decisions around, um, you know, residential housing um, that we wouldn't exactly, we wouldn't support. But at the same time, um, you know, they have had a survey into the blue and green infrastructure. There is a lot more thought being given to that. But, you know, like in the case of strategic housing, it goes directly to onboard Planola. So actually the local authority doesn't have any, you know, influence over that per se. So, yeah, we, we think we can have both and we think we can develop much better. And what would be disappointing in one sense is even when we're renovating buildings for other uses, and I'm thinking of, say, the Maldron in the South Mall, yeah. we don't look at putting in any kind of green greening of those buildings or of those structures. All we're building now in the city is very much, you know, these over-glassed, you know, very modern type buildings that actually don't have anything for nature there. And with the climate changing, mm. are they really the appropriate structures that are we you, have as are well? Are you suggesting, Bernie, and I'm not, you, you, you mentioned the Maldron, but we're not singling them out, but it, are you suggesting perhaps that green space or provision for, for green space be included in planning? That you get permission for yeah. your building, but you've got to put You've got to take a, a, a green site. You've got to put in a green space. You've got to put in a garden, even if it's a rooftop garden. You've got to have trees. Are you saying that these things be made planning conditions? I think it would be really great if they. I, I think that's the only way that we'll get to see um, things change. And at the moment, we get developments, and they're all around Cork, where you see greening that's done, even where there is garden space. And the species that are used are just of no benefit. They're probably most of them, you know, in a lot of cases, no native species. A native species, 
you know, have a lot more benefit to our to our, you know, um, species that need them. So because they, you know, whether it's the trees or the plants, they have had hundreds and hundreds of years of developing together. And that's why native is always better. But we see kind of low maintenance bushes and different types of planting. That yeah. really is of no benefit at all to nature. So, so in so other words, it's not so much even, it's not even the green that do, it's not even the space you want. You want you want to determine what goes into it. I mean, okay, there is a green space requirement in New York for new developments, and and in in London or Amsterdam, if you if you have a building and you say that that there's going to be this garden or whatever, it helps you get permission. But are you suggesting, Bernie, that that's not enough? That in actual fact, you need to deter. You need to be able to tell them, well, that's lovely to have a green space, but you need to put this into it, not that. Yeah, I think I think you do. And you actually have it already a bit in more maybe in the county areas where, you know, when people are putting in hedges, they're they're asked to put in, you know, um, native species, you know, fruiting, flowering hedges in their, you know, when they're doing development. Um, I don't know that that's a strict application, but I mean, it certainly is a recommendation that goes in now, um, you know, when when planning is given for those things. But the sad thing about it is often you have developments in rural areas as well, where the first thing they do is take down the trees or, and in the city. I see it out in the Ballyhooley Road. They take down all the hedges and all the trees and then they do a replanting scheme. You know, which is absolutely crazy instead of retaining what you can of what's already there, because the habitats that are already there, you destroy and just putting in saplings, putting in, you know, plants that will take ages to create that habitat again isn't the same thing. So that isn't restoration. You know, that is just I mean, that is just kind of very basic stuff. But it, it, we should be preventing as much as possible retaining what's there already. Okay, it's interesting. Bernie, thank you. It's an interesting discussion going forward with planning. We have to plan and develop our city, but let's put in green spaces as well. And in New York, it's it's now a thing. If you want to develop, say, a block, you need to tell the planning authorities what green space you will put in, how will you maintain it, what you'll put in there. It's a requirement for permission for new development in New York. So it's it's not exactly rocket science. It's not new. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. plushcare.com slash weightloss. 0818 96 96 96. Just two things Bernie wanted me to say before we move on. The fourth national biodiversity plan was launched yesterday and uh, she's inviting people to have a look. If you Google it, it comes up as the first. So the first, fourth national biodiversity plan. You can cut your hedge now as well. Hedge cutting is permitted, but she'd be asking that they not be cut back to paired back to within an inch of their life. It's better for wildlife if you shape the hedge and you look up online, you'll find many ways to do it. Personally, I see your point, Bernie. I would love to see all those awful briars that have taken over hedges being cut away because they're getting, they're now at the point where they're catching buggies and things as they're passing up the road. But point taken, Bernie, thank you. 0818 96 96 96. Graham was on. Electric Picnic is on this weekend, of course. We are help not harm and we're leading the welfare tent at Electric Picnic for the weekend. We have a request. Our crew forgot to bring our log forms from mailboxes, etc. on Washington Street. Is there anybody travelling up today that can help us to collect them? There's lunch on us. Thank you so much. That's from Graham. If you would make a delivery from the, uh, yeah, the mailboxes, etc. on Washington Street... Okay. And there's the Help Not Harm Symposium, saving lives and reducing the harm of drugs. That's, that's who they are. They want better drug policy uh, rather than, you know. Actually, there's the thing. I was talking to um, Nicole Ryan about the change in the drugs policy at Electric Picnic. And then during the week, we read that even if you do hand over your drugs to be checked to make sure that they're all right and they're kosher and they won't kill you. The guards can be watching and they lift you. So that's not going to promote anybody to to show what they're carrying, is it really? The City Limits Comedy Club has a big homecoming this weekend for Corkman Andrew Ryan, who's headlining there at the weekend. Andrew lives in Belfast and he's got a podcast called Cork in the North. I watched an episode or two this morning. Andrew, you know what? You're, 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 you're out of your tree, lad. It's a wonder that you could walk down the streets of Belfast to not have someone go for you. But it's great fun. Good morning. Good morning, Peter. How are you? You alright? Great um, all together. I watched your interview uh, oh, with a loyalist fella this morning about unionism. Over. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, since I've been living up there, I'm actually trying to learn a little bit more about it, you know? Yeah. Because I actually live in a loyalist area, uh, completely by accident. And, I was going to uh, ask you about I, that. You live in East Belfast. Like, most fellas, Southerners, Catholics, call you other, would go for West Belfast. And I thought, what possessed him to live in East Belfast? Well, I'm a massive fan of tension in the community, PJ. <laughs> and uh, I just thought, no, do you know what? It was the only place in Ireland that I could buy a house. That's the boarding side of it, really. Really? Um, because uh, I tried to buy a house in Cork, but unfortunately, because I earn a lot of, uh, what you call it, sterling, because I work in London a lot, therefore, you couldn't get a mortgage based on foreign income. So the only place I could buy, especially with the housing crisis, was actually to go over the border. Yeah. And I've been there for two years now, and I must say, honestly, I, I do like it there. I always say to people, if you've not been to the north of Ireland on a holiday, like I highly recommend you go to Spain, because uh, it's probably a bit cheaper, you know. 
So, <laughs> no, um, I, I, I'm with you on the North because in the time when we weren't allowed fly, I did go on holidays in the North two years running and absolutely loved it. And Belfast is it's a, a lovely spot, yeah. gorgeous, a gorgeous, spot. gorgeous city. Yeah. So it was there, that, and that's why you settled because because you were a lot of your work is done, paid through sterling, couldn't get a mortgage here. So Belfast was yeah. it. Yeah. Belfast was busy, yeah, and also I do a lot of work up around Dublin and Belfast and stuff like that. So I just thought, you know what, I want to, I want, I want, I want to buy a house. So I thought I was living in London. I was in England for sixteen years, and I just didn't want to be paying that kind of money in London. And I want to be back in Ireland, really. And you know, I can drive to Dublin, and I can, you know, drive to Cork, and I'm down in Cork this weekend, and do an electric picnic on Saturday, and down city limits Saturday night. Mm. So. um you know, it's it's a great spot to live in, actually. And I think a lot of the reason why I do the podcast, Cork in the North, is because I think a lot of people have an idea of the North. But actually, yes. when you live there, it's incredibly peaceful, very chilled out. Yes. People are lovely, very friendly. And also, it's uh, I think people just hear the news. And I think it's the, the people that shout the loudest get on the news the most. And what actually, the majority of people uh, are incredibly friendly. And where I live as well is, um, my neighbours used to wind me up, you know. they're like, Apparently, they've got a WhatsApp group about me. You know what I mean? They're like, what the, what the hell is this guy doing here? You know, and uh, but I, they're all really nice and really friendly. So mm. to be honest with you, like the podcast kind of like are trying to change people's perception of the North as well a little bit. And also it's incredibly beautiful as well. The big yes. North Coast up there by Port Stewart and Port oh, Rush. Stop, yes. You know, it's gorgeous, you know. So, but it's also my first time gigging back in Cork this weekend now because of the, since the pandemic. Really? So I've not performed in Cork since 2020. The last time I did, I did the Everyman. And uh, I'm down in City Limits this weekend uh, to do Roll Up My New Show, uh, which I'm very excited about because uh, Brian and uh, City Limits have been really good to me, putting me on and stuff. And I've got my, my own show coming up in November in The Everyman as well. Fantastic. Like, you are a busy boy. You've been on the road for a quite, quite a long time. You don't get back to Cork very often. Do you know what? I try and get down every two months. I normally go down to see my nieces and nephews, and they call me Uncle Cash Machine, basically, because I just take them out and buy them stuff. But... Uh, <laughs> I try not to get back, you know. I try to get back as much as I can. Uh, you, I thought by living in Belfast, I'd be able to nip down every couple of weeks and stuff like that, but it doesn't work like that, you know. You kind of end up, when you get your days off, you just want to stay at home and, and chill out. Like, and, you know, I'm so busy now with podcasts and writing shows and mm. uh, touring. I've got a big UK and Ireland tour coming up in November, so uh, I'm kind of doing city limits to kind of, you know, start running out the show. I'm very excited about it because it's a great club, you know, especially Cork people. Cork people are brilliant. Like, they're great crack. Well, they're your own, lad, in fairness. Yeah, they're brilliant. There's yeah. a thing, actually. Is it, is it harder to perform to your own? Do they set a higher standard, Andrew? Make me laugh, I boy. they do, yeah. They are, yeah, a little bit. It's sort of, kind of like in London, they're a bit sort of like, they, they go to comedy very regularly, whereas I think in Cork, they're kind of like, you know, oh, he thinks he's funny, is he? He thinks he's funny. Well, we'll go and we'll have a look, you know. So uh, it kind of it kind of takes a while, but I think nowadays there's so much happening with comedy in Cork at the moment that there's lots of clubs popping up in the place, and I think people are getting very excited about the new talent that's coming out there. Mm. And uh, I just say to people now, like you know, just go out and support people you don't know or you don't see, or just because you don't know their name doesn't mean that they're not very good, you know. So yeah. I always try and encourage people to go to to live shows, especially like popping into places like City Limits and. You can just like go in there on a, on a Friday and Saturday night and see local people in a, in a long-established club, and it's very important that well, uh, well, it, you know, it, it happens. Andrew, you go into you go into a comedy club and you know what you're there for. You're there to see Fragment, say you're there to see Andrew Ryan, or you're there to see, you know, um, Kate or what's his name, Russ Brown or whatever. And you're there to see Ross. You're there to see Andrew, and then who the hell is that? I can't drink my pint for laughing. Who's your man? Yeah, yeah. 
Well, listen, well, that's it. Like, you know, there's great talent out there that just, you know, nowadays we can kind of control things with our Instagrams and TikToks a bit more rather than trying to get on RT1 or RT2 to get like a big break like they used to do 20 years ago. So mm. I think now, you know, I do quite a bit on Instagram and TikTok now and I'm starting to get people to follow me from the podcast and stuff. So mm. it's just a matter of, I say to people, like, always go and just see what's out there. I often used to go and see bands I'd never even heard of and I'd come away, like, falling in love with different types of music, you know? And yeah. uh, it's also, nowadays with social media, everybody's accessible now. It's not the TV anymore, it's everybody's accessible. Which can be a bit frightening in its own way. Oh, it is, yeah. Like, yeah, it is, you know. Yeah, it, but I think in Cork... Uh, when you go and do gigs in Cork and stuff like that, they never let you get ahead of yourself. Like, so that's true. <laughs> it's that's fine. True. Come here for for a fella whose bread and butter is performing and the stage. The the pandemic must have been awful. It was, yeah. But I think I did, yeah. It was pretty bad. The first few months were pretty difficult, and um, because we didn't know what kind of support we were getting, but. I got some support off the UK government at the time, and I went and I got a job working in B and Q, stacking shelves. Did you? So I was just stacking shelves, yeah, during the pandemic in B and Q, and uh, it was good fun, you know. But I tell you, I learned something, man. This is the general. I can't deal with the general public anymore. Like people will come up to you and they'd be like, "Where's aisle 15? I'm like, "It's between 14 and 16." Like, where do you think it's going? Where do you think it's going to be? Like people coming to the till saying, "Do you take cash or cards?" And I was like. No, we take a bottle of coke. Like, what do you what do you expect us to take? Like, so I had enough. I had like you know, but I stacked shelves there and I enjoyed it. And I've mm. always done kind of like minimum wage jobs and stuff like that, and I've no problem doing them. And but you know what? Like, I did. There was a little part of me in the first couple of months of the pandemic, you know, because I didn't know how long. How long does the pandemic last? No one knew at the time. That's right. I thought maybe six weeks, but didn't realize eighteen months later and. Uh, you know, still wasn't able to perform, but you just get on with it. You just what can you do? You just have to get on with it, and that's what most of us did. And yeah. uh, we've come back now, and I feel it's come back stronger than ever, really. Yeah, yeah. Two weeks to flatten the curve. My God, it became an awful long time, didn't it? Exactly. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, but that's just the way things are. You yeah. know, we're happy that the way it is now that we're back, and yeah. comedy clubs are busier than ever. Do you put those kind of stories into the show? Do you talk about pandemic times in the sh- in the new show? Uh, I don't talk about it as much because I think I'm sick of hearing about it myself, you know? So yeah. I think the audience are kind of sick of it as well. But I kind of make reference. I said, oh, during the pandemic, I did this, but it would be something completely nothing related to COVID, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Because I think the audiences are sick of it, you know? And I'm sick of it and, like, just kind of get through it now. I think if I think of all the stuff I've lived through in the last 20 years, you know, recessions, pandemics... Living in you East know, Belfast. all that kind of stuff, like, yeah, 9-11, now I'm living in East Belfast, I mean, you couldn't write a book on it, you know, we've all had such a terminus time on it, like, so, I just I just put put it into jokes. Yeah, yeah. Andrew, you know. tomorrow night, City Limits uh, Comedy Club with with uh, Paul Crowley and guests, back to Cork for Andrew, uh, Andrew Ryan, who's not been here since before the pandemic, lives in Belfast, his podcast is very good, it's very funny but very educational, Cork in the North. Have you ever wondered what it's like to live in the North and actually try to understand the community there? It's very good. History books have been written that don't teach you as much as, as his podcast will. Thanks, Andrew. 0818 96 96 96. Don't forget to download. If you've not done it yet, you need to download our app to your smartphone, the Cork's 96 FM app. One of the reasons is... Did you know that on the Opinion Line, we now put up the bones of 30 podcasts a week, sometimes more. And we put up the full show every day. 
of course, you get that in the middle afternoon every day. But we also put up lots and lots of bits from the show, lots of segments and features from the show. So we put up the bones of 30 podcasts a week uh, from the opinion line. And if you follow us wherever your podcast provider, you'll get them all. You get them all sent to your smartphone or your tablet. So down and they come to the Cork's 96FM app and you can find them all there and you can listen to the shows and you can listen to the streams like the Hit Mix and the Fit Mix and you can listen to the Premier League Live. The whole lot is there on your smart speaker, on your app or on your smartphone. All right? Just so you know. 0818 96 96 96. Big day tomorrow. Uh, it's called National Services Day and there'll be some fantastic display of uh, frontline emergency services and vehicles and what have you yourself around Cork tomorrow. Gerald D is Community Engagement Manager with the National Ambulance Service. Ger, a big day tomorrow. Some great colour on the streets. Tell me about the occasion and why you do it. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Thanks for, for having me on. Um, I suppose just a quick history to it is that the then Taoiseach Leo Varadkar in 2018 um, made the first Saturday of every September a National Services Day. And from that point on, a, a big parade was held in Dublin every year. But I suppose one of the things come out of COVID, we learned that splitting people up was, was beneficial. And we brought the parade regional last year and brought a very successful one to Cork. Um, which was enjoyed by many people um, you know, coming out the other side of the pandemic last year. So again this year we're going to do the same thing um, and we have a, a vehicle parade of up on 50 emergency, voluntary and rescue vehicles and it's going to set off from Middleton Fire Station in the morning at 11.30. Now the vehicles will be there for a little time before that mm. so that anybody from the area can come along and meet the crews and have a look at the vehicles and equipment. Um, so we'll be leaving Middleton, as I said, at 11.30, and we'll be actually taking the parade up the main dual carriageway and in through Carrick Tool um, a few minutes later, and then we should be picking up the Lord Mayor, our Deputy Lord Mayor of Cork City, um, as we approach the city at 12 o'clock, and he's going to lead the parade um, down the Keys, out through Patrick Street, Western Road, and out to the CUH, and we're going to go from the CUH down through Wilton, out through Bishopstown, onto the Ballancolic Bypass, and then exit the bypass and wow. take it right through Ballancolic, all the way out to Classes Lake there in Ovens. And we'll take it back in, in the South Ring again and to come off at the Kinsale Road roundabout. And we hope to arrive back to Kennedy Quay um, in the city for around 2pm. Right. Now, we, I suppose I can't give exact timings as to where we'll be at any given time, sure, but I'm sure, sure. people can, can judge it. Um, it's we going to be, be very visual. It's going to be massively visual uh, between blue light sirens. Um, you know, there'll be a full guard escort. Um, you know, it, it's a great day for people to come out and, you know, see their emergency services in a good light and not when it's, you know, in their time of need. So it, it's, it's going to be a nice, relaxed day. We will be on Kennedy Key from 2 o'clock until 5 o'clock. We'll have all the vehicles on display there, some equipment, and we have the Road Safety Authority um, safety lorry coming as well, where people can come along and test their driving skills um, in a car, a motorbike, and on a bicycle, and hopefully, you know, take some learning away from that. Um, and, you know, we, we've, we are concerned about the weather, you know. Mm. It's unfortunate, but we're, we're hoping 
we're hoping that um, we'll, we'll get a break and you know people can enjoy it um, as much as they did last year. Um, yeah, for, so, for, the forecast is not the best by any manner of means for tomorrow. It's not the best at all. And, you know, I suppose despite that, we'd still encourage people to throw on the wet gear, bring the umbrella. I mean, the emergency services go out in all sorts of weather Indeed and they're there do. for the people whenever they're needed. Indeed so it'd be do. nice if people could come out and show their, I suppose, their support and appreciation for all that these people do, you know. And, and you'd be able to say a non-exhaustive list, as it were. So there's ambulance... Fire service, guards, coast guards, civil defence, order Malta, Red Cross, search and rescue, the prison service. They, they're literally, I mean, the photograph opportunities for people tomorrow. Oh, Incredible. absolutely. Yeah, I mean, there's going to be a massive photograph opportunity as the parade moves from east to west and back into the city centre. And I suppose then down at Kennedy Key people will have the opportunity to sit into fire engines, sit into ambulances, you know, maybe learn a bit about CPR, learn what the various agencies do, um, and, and just, you know, meet meet the crews and, and you know, hear a few stories and take a few photographs. Um, you know, it's it's a good day. It's a good day for the services and it's a good day for, for the people of Cork to come out and meet these people in a relaxed environment. Um, and, to, and to maybe say, Jared, to maybe say thanks for your service because it's 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 great that you get to do this. I'm going to leave it there for no reason other than time. That's Gerald D, Community Engagement Manager with the National Ambulance Service. Kennedy Key tomorrow afternoon, they'll be there for the whole afternoon. If you're in Middleton, they'll be there in the morning, and literally every kind of a vehicle, ambulances, fire engines. Gather cars, coast cards, civil defence, you name it, they'll be there tomorrow. Looks like a great afternoon to mark National Services Day. Ger, thank you. 0818969696 is the number. The text to WhatsApp is 083-396-9696. Email is opinion at 96fm.ie. Movies coming out this month. This is an interesting one. It's coming out on the Hallmark movie and mysteries channel the hallmark channel it's a story of a painting and it's this is i'm looking forward to this because it's got a mystery there now there is a love story because you kind of couldn't have a hallmark movie without a love story but there is a mystery in it so imagine a painting turns up in an art gallery and the person who's one in the art gallery says, that's a painting of me. How the hell did that happen? And she finds out that she's got to go to Ireland to try to track it down. There she meets a former presenter at the Den. No, seriously, she does. Catherine McKiernan, good morning. <laughs> Hello. PJ, that's one of the best intros I've had. Like, you've, you've done a fine job there. <laughs> you know... The movie. Now, she doesn't know that I'm a former presenter of this. Of course she doesn't, <laughs> Catherine McKiernan. Of course she doesn't. But that's but the rest of the... But Ireland oh, doesn't. Because everyone's going to look at it. How do I know her? How do I know her? Exactly. It's, it actually is a great story. And the trailer doesn't tell us oh, if we get to the, if we get to the mm-hmm. bottom of the mystery. But how did you oh, land a yeah. gig on the Hallmark Channel? 
<laughs> oh, pure blessed to be honest, PJ. Um, uh, my amazing agent Maureen Ward. I'm with her. Um, MVW Talent. She managed to get me a screen test for this, and um, now it's last year, I think, early summertime. And as an actor, you sort of do these self tapes all the time, and you just have to forget about them. You know, they're like um, auditions essentially on tape. And uh, I, this was uh, one of many that you do, and some land and me- more. Don't <laughs> so uh, was so pleasantly surprised when I landed this mm. uh, role as Saoirse um, in Hallmark's Love Love's Portrait, and um, just delighted to be part of it. Yeah, PJ, it's so fun, and like it's funny that you say about the den that she meets the den presenter because um, I basically feel like I'm still the same character <laughs> because uh, even on the den, I I do feel like I was 100% myself. Mm. Uh, and uh, so I and again with Saoirse it's a very similar character to my own you, in you everyday were presenting life, the den. So. you were only 19 presenting the den yeah yeah I actually had just turned 19 when I landed the gig um, it was a phenomenal experience in, in some ways feels like a lifetime ago to be honest PJ but uh, it was amazing yeah I was so young and like in my naivety I didn't even know I was going for an audition for a presenter on the den I actually thought I was just going to be a contributor you mm-hmm. know like somebody who comes on maybe once a month or something um, but yeah it was just mad to land it and then even more mad to have done it for five years and to have had just an unbelievable array of experiences throughout it like having presented loads of different shows and with lots of different content and mm. stuff um, so yeah yeah it was an amazing experience and what, still, what other, what like other I, acting I have you done myself. I mean you, you were I think were you in what, when did you go from uh, the, after the den you went acting yeah, well, I, I've always been acting <laughs> the maggot really since I was a young one. Like I would have been in stage school and stuff when I was younger and did the whole sing and dance and acting thing. Um Were you and, a Billy like, Barry? I would have been in uh, I wasn't Philly Barry, but similar. I was at the Helen Jordan Stage School and then the Independent Theatre Workshop and then yeah. with Maureen Ward as well. So it's, she's a stage school called Talented Kids. And so I would have done the rounds, like, you know, and would have been uh, all, like in sort of TV commercials and doing bits and pieces like that just for fun, really, yeah. to be honest. I never took it like so in any way seriously because I didn't think it was possible to have a career out of it. Um, and so, yeah, I, I always did the commercial side of things and did like theatre and um, pantos and um, so definitely acting was always there but this was my first proper lead role in yeah. a film and now for it to be on Hallmark like it's just class I, yeah. I'm still like oh yeah I'm an actor yeah. <laughs> and, and, and they the didn't film. spare the horses um, in making it the production values are lovely Ah, uh, well, thanks for saying that. I think Ireland looks beautiful. That's my main thing out of it, it all. I think we look stunning. And I know it's not hard to make this country look beautiful, but they do a fine job. And I mean, that's the idea is that to me anyway, I'm, I hope the takeaway is God, Ireland looks beautiful. And, uh, you know, that the American audience will see that and agree. And they obviously love us. They're going to lap Ireland. it up, Catherine. They're going to absolutely. <laughs> I, I mean, will, you've, got a mis- you've got a mystery story, a romance. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm, there's got to be a twist into how this, I, I can't wait to hear, to, to see how the picture <laughs> actually, I mean, but it's, yeah. it's the scene where she goes, hang on, that's a picture of me. <laughs> That's exactly it. All of, um, and then all the this, there's, a, there's a scene when she walks in on you and you're like, that is her. I got that's her. Look. <laughs> 
And there's a reason for that, I can tell you. We have a very strong connection to that painting. But I suppose the premise of the movie is that uh, like we're going on an adventure, a little investigation to see, you know, how this painting arrived randomly enough in her museum in the States. Um, And so we are definitely connected to it, but you don't find out for some time how that is. You have to watch the movie to find out. Listen, I'm delighted. It's a huge shop window for you and it looks like a great movie to watch and to enjoy for probably the whole family. It's from 4th September on Hallmark Movie and Mysteries Channel. Delighted to talk to you, Catherine, Catherine McKiernan, formerly of The Den. Now she's a movie star. Thanks, Catherine, and good luck with everything. 0818 96 96 96. It actually does look like a pretty decent movie. Everybody's got a camera these days in your phone or wherever your tablet or whatever everyone's a photographer and the internet is full of people taking pictures on their phones taking pictures on their digital devices but what about the good old days when we actually had cameras and we actually had to go and develop them develop the picture when was the last time you handed a pictures in to be developed and that's where the slow camera exchange exhibition came from that idea that we've all gone so modern we should look back at the old school of how pictures were taken and developed Alana Denny Mulligan good morning how are you PJ good lovely to talk to you again tell me about this it's an exhibition in the library in Holly Hill from next week old style photography Absolutely. So we are Ireland's first analog camera camera exchange, and eventually we will be Ireland's first camera library. So members of the public will be able to go in, take out an analog camera, and use it. Um, so the exhibition in Holly Hill um, is only just the beginning. It's it's just touching just the the tip of the iceberg with what we're hoping to do. Um, it's a triptych ex- exhibition. So there's three groups. We have. Polaroids from Herman Marb, who collected over 70 cameras in his lifetime and has donated these cameras. His um, his partner has donated these cameras to the exchange. And then we have the work of the F Project, who have been using Herman's cameras to make slower photography. And then we have the work of the Westgate Foundation and Carmel Creener and Anne Kiley, who are artists who led people over 65 in yeah. creative um, explorations in cameras. You use the term uh, analog cameras. These are old-fashioned cameras, if you like, that actually put film in and and roll it in and slide it in and all that. But I think those skills seem yeah. to have gone, Alana. Have they? Um, I think it, they're coming back because I think there is such a there's such a love for um, analog camera and the uniqueness of every shot. You know, you'll never get exactly the same shot, and you can develop it in so many different ways. So our kind of philosophy is that we want everyone to get into analog photography as our world is starting to speed back up after COVID um, and to remind ourselves that we, we can take things slowly, we can slow things down and the world is ours to just explore with all the different lenses, no pun intended. Because mm-hmm. you see with the analog camera, with the old style camera, you actually had to set up the shot. You couldn't mm. just point and shoot and then your phone will take 13 different versions of the same image and you pick the nicest one you actually had to set up the shot frame the shot take and make sure the camera was rock still there was skill involved even with the instamatics that we used to use and put film into there was skill involved completely and 
cameras like Instamatics are going to be available for, for display and public use eventually. Like there's over 70 cameras in the collection and we have cameras from the 1910s the whole way to really? 2010s. Yeah, there's a fantastic range um, of cameras and they'll all be, a lot of them will be on display in the library over the next over the next few months. We'll be rotating things around. Right. Um, we'll also have an event on Culture Night where people can be a bit hands-on with the cameras and try things out with them. Mm. Um, and, and have you got the boxes and the brownies, things, yeah. the ones that you had to look down into and those ones and the ones you had to cover your head? Absolutely whatever type of camera you could imagine we have it um we also have uh homemade cameras so herman was he was he was an amazing artist who did loads of work with people in cork city to open their minds about photography and he made cameras himself out of old cigarette boxes out of biscuit tins um so there's there's every kind of curiosity you could imagine being camera related we have it I don't think people appreciate it, Alana, when we take it so much for granted these days, how mm. easy it is to take a high-quality picture. The way when they discovered photography that people like Herman actually went and built these things and you, you kind of, you didn't know until you used it what kind of a shot you were going to get. They were very different times. They were. And I think I think this is what's so good about this initiative is it's it's giving us because we're so focused on intergenerational dialogues because we're sponsored by Creative Ireland's Creativity and Older Change initiative in older age initiative. So we're working primarily with people age 65 plus at the moment, but we're hoping to bring more of the community in. We're going to look at those old techniques and why photography was so valued and try and put it back on people today um, and just make people a bit more conscious about making images. Um, mm. Because, you know, we say this thing, we say we take a photograph, right? It's like you're taking a bit of someone. We should actually be making photographs. We should be making something together collectively rather than taking something from the world. We should be putting something back into it with photography. Um, so that's why I think this initiative is so exciting and um, I think it has a lot. Like it's the first in Ireland, you know, and Cork is leading on it. Mm. Do you think that people, like you said, younger people, say Alana, would come along and look at these beautiful pieces of equipment and the lovely photographs? They is the hope that people will go and try and uh, maybe obtain an old camera from a second-hand shop, try to get it going, try to do their their, their own photographs? Yeah, like that. That would you know, we'd love to encourage anyone to get involved in analog photography. But you know, as I said before there will be an opportunity for members of the public to engage in our workshops so they'll be able to try out our cameras before they have to purchase anything from a second-hand shop. Um, and we also encourage members of the public who have old cameras at home to maybe get in contact with us and they can donate them and they'll have a wonderful life in the library system and with us. Yeah, there probably are cameras in attics and old dressers. Mm around the city that people have not looked at for years that might still be working. Exactly. And it's, it, 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 you'd be surprised at how little it can take um, to get them back up and running or to get film and to just go and make something, you know, like um, photography is such a versatile art form. And I think um, now is the time to go out and make photos. Okay, so the Culture Night is the 23rd September. That's three weeks today. That'll be seven to half nine in the City Library. And then you're launching the exhibition on the 8th in Holly Hill Library at half past six. 
That's correct. And the exhibition runs from the 8th to the, to the 30th of September. Um, so you can pop in any day you like bar Sundays and Mondays, I believe. And the, the library is open from 9 to 5. All right. Look forward to it. I, mean, I must pop in for a look. Particularly, I'll be a run, wandering around town culture night and definitely going to wander in for a look at that. Alana Daly Mulligan, the slow camera exchange, the way we learnt to take pictures as kids. I remember my first camera. I can remember my first camera and it had a winder on it and you put a flash bulb into it. People don't really know that. You'd actually go and you had to buy flash bulbs and put them in and they were expensive and they went pop and they were gone. There was four of them. And they went, pop and they were gone. You threw them out You put four new ones on and film and develop. They were all really, really expensive. I remember going to, to a school tour with a camera and it was my first camera and I had film in it and clickety click and it was a oh it was brilliant. It was absolute and then the biggest thing you'd ever get is you'd get a present for Christmas of a camera with a flash in it. I remember getting my first camera with an electronic flash built into it. My God, you had arrived in the world if you had an electronic flash camera. That'll be gas. That'll be a great uh, Great exhibition in Holly Hill Library, starting on the 8th, and then on Culture Night, which is three weeks tonight, three weeks tonight, seven, uh, from five to half seven in Cork City Library. It's the slow camera exchange, trying to bring back old-style photography. Good luck with that. It's over 20 years now since Karen Underwood arrived in Cork with her then-husband and her children to start a new life in Cork. It was a life that was to change dramatically, a life that was to experience dark tragedy, and a life that was to see Karen develop into one of Cork's most beloved singers, musicians and performers. And in the course of that time, Karen has also lost and regained the deep faith she grew up with in Chicago. She'll tell that story in particular next Friday night in Christchurch in Cove in a new show called Coming Home. Now, I've known Karen a long time. We're good pals. But even I had a lot to learn when we sat down to chat about the show and why she decided to do it. You were reared in a very devout Christian background. So start there. Start in America, little girl. Seven years of age. I went to Catholic schools, but I was a Protestant. So I didn't feel part of that because I wasn't going to be baptized Catholic. But my next door neighbor was a member of a, a faith that was uh, a church, the Church of Christ. And she invited me to Vacation Bible School, which is really about children getting together, singing songs and eating cookies and, and mm. drinking Kool-Aid or mm. whatever the beverage would be and singing these wonderful songs with the hand motions that would go with them and learning the great stories of, of the Old Testament and the New Testament of the Bible. So by the time I was nine, I could recite the books of the Bible. Mm-hmm. I understood the scripture. And then by the time I was 12, I was baptized in that church. And I eventually my parents started to go visiting the church with me. My mother was baptized and then my father, my brothers, my sisters. So the preacher would stand up and he would say, this young woman here brought her whole family to Christ, you know, and it was like, can I get an amen? And it was something to be celebrated. And it made me feel special. Mm. I met my former husband in that church. His father was the pastor of that church. And we started dating when I was 15. We married when I was 19. I had no sense of who I was. I just knew this is a nice guy. He's smart. 
you know, he's faithful. And he was the man for me, and I loved him. Mm. We had Christiana, my, my oldest, and we had my, my son, Irby, was born from my heart through adoption. Mm -hmm. um, and shortly after we adopted Irby, I say within a year of his adoption, we moved to Cork mm. to an all-Irish, all-Catholic country. And once again, now my children were going to be in the same mm. position as me on the peripheral of the church, of Catholicism, um, but still treated very kindly, very well in, in this country. And I came to understand my sexuality within a year of moving to Cork. I met my wife. We got together. Um, we married then in... 2012, we had our civil partnership. We had a big wedding. Just come back a second now, because I guess you were still married. Yes. When you were here to a yes. very devout Christian, yes. son of a pastor. Yes. And did you know you were gay? Gay wouldn't be a word that would be in my vocabulary. Right. As a child, as a young woman, not really. Gay was something that I didn't want to be, because I mean, the preacher is up in the pulpit and he's preaching. God created. Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. What does that mean? Yeah. That means if I have a thought that I think a woman is beautiful or I want to kiss a woman or be with a woman, I'm a sinner. That must have been so hard to deal with and to be married to a devout Christian at the same time. Absolutely. Point. So I did nothing about it. I erased it. I learned to love men. I learned to, to live a life that would be acceptable by the greater society. So there's this thing in the gay community called internalized homophobia, which means that, you know, some of us, and I can say for me, I learned not to even like gay people, hmm. not to be around them, not to have anything to do with them because it was contagious and I might change. It might change the whole course hmm. of my life. And was that while you were in America or did it all here. happen here? This all happened in Ireland. Right. And um, I set eyes on this woman and I thought, God, maybe she's lesbian. Oh no, why are you thinking that? You're not lesbian. So I shut it down. Right. And a friendship developed. We did fall in love. Yeah. We left our prospective husbands. We got together. We've been together for 20 years plus. And do you feel that the faith that you were married into and had been raised with, did you feel that the faith did not welcome that? Absolutely not. I mean, I had a nephew who was gay and came out as gay and he was basically not accepted by the church his not accepted by the family in that you know he was a sinner and the the the, the process of that means that if you are a christian then you don't kind of associate with people who are dirty or sinners or have a different lifestyle than you these are so, incredibly hard words to listen to in 2022 very hard, very hard to listen to. It's very hard to understand how some people don't have the capacity to love anybody. Think Did you come into conflict with your faith? Is that how you walked away from faith? I had no choice. I had no choice. I couldn't be out and proud in a church that condemned homosexuality. Hmm. And I didn't, and then I, I understood the same about Catholicism. And it wasn't until Really, I got an understanding of the of the the Protestant Church, the Church of Ireland, um, and a bit of a more acceptance. I met Senator David Norris, 
I heard his kind of story and his concept was, you know, we can't change a church if we leave the church. The only way to change the system is just to be a part of that mm-hmm. system. And I respect that man for that because he gave me an understanding that if I was going to have faith, I couldn't leave really, mm-hmm. you know? And so this concert with Christchurch and Cove, I've been welcomed. They yeah, have. How did it come about? Because I know that you want to express where you are now through your gift, which is your music. That's right. How did it come about, Karen? The concert came about through, I say, philanthropy. Someone, a family in Cove, wanted me to support me in giving this concert. And it's coming home. It's called, it's like the coming home concert. So I'm coming back home to my faith because these are people who accept me as a whole person. Do you believe in God, Karen? Absolutely. So you believe God as you see him, as you conceive God, perceive God. Do you think God feels differently than the people, shall we say, who work for him here? I believe that if God said there are two commandments, he sent his son to give us two commandments, to love him Mm. and to love your neighbor. Um, I believe that God had a son who had a friend, Mary Magdalene. Mm. And if his son thought Mary Magdalene was good enough to be his friend, then how come I'm not good enough to be a friend of the Lord? Who are you to decide that? And who brought you back? Did you come back yourself? I came back for a number of reasons. I came back because I think when my son passed away, it was Daniel Nazem. Ah, the chaplain at the CUH. That's right, who made contact with me. Lovely man. Not one priest in the Catholic Church made contact with me. And my son was a, a student in Douglas Com. Um, and it was Bishop Paul Colton Ah. and I saw a warmth in that man and a loving pair of arms of acceptance and I said I think these are my people I think I might have found something that I could call a church home it's 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 not a a faith that I would practice by running into a building yeah running into a mass or running into a service but I can tell you one thing when I've had Strife when I've had hurt, when I've had pain, the loss of my son. It was those men that, that ministered to me hmm. and that will still minister to me today. And, and it's just in the things that, that people have just stepped up and, and done for me. You know, I, as, a, as an artist, as a musician, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be by any means wealthy or, or well off, but there are people who are. Hmm. There are people who have helped me along the way. I, I found myself, you know, in a position of a great loss and pain. Hmm. I also found myself in a position of I couldn't hear anymore. I was losing my hearing. So hmm. I've gone deaf um, in, I have deafness in both ears. Um, and I'm a singer. Yeah. And I've had that for a long time. And I met a family, I met Egan's, and they said to me, come in to me and I'll right. sort you out. Right. And they sorted out my hearing so that I can be a better singer, a better performer. I never knew that. No, that's something, it's only something I've only We've opened up We've been friends about. a long time, Karen, I never knew I that. I know, because it would have been something I would have been ashamed of, really, yeah. you know, because, uh, you know, losing your hearing is a sign of, of aging, of the aging process. And those same people have listened to me mm. um, and given me great service and 
friendship and kindness. But also, I think it was in the fact that, you know, Bishop Colton, you know, saying, I, I want you to, would you do something, Karen? Would you go out to Mitchellstown and would you do this charity gig when they were building the homes for the Ukrainians? And I said, I will. Of course I will. So it, it, it's, a, it's a thing that goes both ways. Mm -hmm. if, if someone calls me up and says to me, um, Besborough needs this, or if they say to me, Cork Penny Dinners needs that, I'm there with a tune. Yeah. I'm there with a tune because this is a gift that I believe God has given me. And that brings us right full circle to ask you the content of the show. Many of your shows are a story. That's they right. go through an hour or an hour and a bit telling mm -hmm. a story. Is it that kind of a show? It will be that kind of a show. It will be the type of music that would be inspirational, uplifting. There will be hymns mm -hmm. that I haven't been able to sing for many years. Um, I haven't been able to sing hymns that I love because the church that I was a member of didn't allow instrumental music. Okay. So now I'm singing the hymns the way... I believe my God wants me to sing those hymns. Will John be with you? John, of course, my friend will be with me. John O'Brien, Fiano Calicon, Dave Whitler. You know, they're pretty much, um, and I, I would often work with Orrin Regan. He's not in on this gig. This is a, a spiritual gig. I will be performing with an organ, so I will be in two hearing aids that night because I'm not used to sort of uh, singing with an organ, so that will be a challenge. So I'm presenting uh, organs that don't get used in these beautiful churches mm -hmm. properly. You know John is a master's in organ, yeah. and, and he's also a conductor and arranger. So we're looking at music. Some of the songs I've sung before, but I really want to go back to the hymns. I want to go back to, and I'm going to say this, Negro spirituals. The things I learned to sing a cappella, I want to put them to music. I'm over the PC aspect of life. Those, those were what those songs were. Beautiful music. Beautiful songs. Beautiful music. And songs, songs that brought people to, on the Underground Railroad to freedom. Yeah. Yeah. You know, songs like Wade in the Water. That song was all about Stay in the water, people, and then the sniffer dogs can't catch you. Is that the secret of that song? That's the secret of that song. So, um, it's, they're beautiful songs, Deep River, and songs like, my favorite hymn is His Eye is on the Sparrow. Okay. And I know he watches me. That is the lyric. You know, why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart be lonely and long for heaven and home when Jesus is my portion? My constant friend is he. His eye is on the sparrow and I know he watches me. I want people to hear, yeah. hear the words of love and inspiration and say, maybe some people say, you can't like me or you can't love me because of my sexuality. And I'm saying that's hogwash. <laughs> Tickets available from where? Tickets are available in uh, Cove Christchurch on Eventbrite um, for the 10th of September. We're kicking off around 8 o'clock p.m. And I'm going to have these beautiful stained glass windows behind me, an organ, a double bass, drums yeah. in the church. Everything I wasn't allowed to do and sing, that's what I'm going to do. As long as I know you, you're doing things you shouldn't be allowed to do. Karen, <laughs> it's great talking to you. Have a wonderful show. Thank you so much, PJ, and I really appreciate your time. And the 10th of September, as Karen reminded me, is also Suicide Awareness Day. She had...
completely forgotten that when the concert was booked. 0818 96 96 96. Last bit of business this Friday, and I don't know what you plan to do with your weekend, but I'll be spending a lot of mine on Spike Island, heading over there this evening, in fact, and again on Sunday, to be part of the first ever Spike Island Literary Festival. It's a festival focused on crime writing, and it's organised by Michelle Dunn, the author of the Lindsay Ryan books. I met Michelle earlier this week to look ahead to what promises to be a great weekend. Michelle, we're sitting here looking out at the harbour over Cove on a beautiful, beautiful afternoon. Sadly, it doesn't look like the weather will hold for the weekend that's coming. But this Spike Island Literary Festival grew out of Culture Night. You and I were involved in a Culture Night event last year. That's right. We had um, just one crime event over on Spike Island this time last year. And afterwards... Um, John Crotty, who was the the manager on Spike at the time, um, said to me, why don't we make this an annual event? And of course, me on a high from such a fantastic event, I said, forget about the event. Let's do a whole literary festival. How hard can it be? (laughs) And John Crotty being John Crotty said, "Okay." Absolutely, and I have to say every single thought and idea that's popped into my head over the past 12 months has gone to John Crotty and the answer has always been, yeah, okay, we can do that, always. It's an incredible venue, because I remember that night being over there and I think a lot of people were emotional too because we were coming out of lockdown. We were so delighted just to be able to get together again and do something, but as you walk around Spike Island, it lends itself to a festival about books. It does, and you're you're going to be hearing some unbelievable stories about things that happened on that island, the people that passed through that island, and all of those stories are told with such passion by the guides there before you get into the writers and the crime writers and everything else that's going to be there. It's it's the setting itself is just absolutely incredible. It's the perfect place for a crime festival, I think. So tell us who you have coming. Oh my God, how, who do we have coming? We have um, our opening night, we have Alex Barkley and we have Liz Nugent, everybody knows those names. Um, then the, the Saturday is going to be a fantastic day, so um, our visitors will get a whole behind-the-scenes tour through the tunnels and the, the abandoned prison cells, and along the way you're going to meet writers like Amy Cronin, uh, Catherine Kerwin, Ty Coakley. They're all going to be reading, actually, in these very dark, dreary locations by candlelight which is going to be very atmospheric um, we have John Connolly and Mark Billingham they're, they're um, our headline act on Saturday The John night. Connolly is coming to Spike The John Connolly oh God Michelle <laughs> I How know. Did you, did you, Please tell me you just rang him and asked him or something Do you know it, it literally was as simple as that I mean I, I, we had this idea and uh, like this is six or eight months ago I just thought of all these the dream team we'll call them the the authors that I would love to bring to this festival and I sent them all an email detailing you know painting this fantastic picture it wasn't hard to paint I mean it is incredible the location and everything else and they all just said I mean the enthusiasm that came back I remember I hit send on this group email to all these fantastic people who I just I'm a massive fan of all of them um, and I, I just sat there cringing, thinking, oh, God, what's going to happen? And Alex Barkley actually was the first um, first person to respond, and her enthusiasm was just incredible, and it just gave me the boost I needed to go to everybody else, and they all came back, and, yeah, they were all very, very enthusiastic, and I think John Connolly and Mark Billingham, actually, they're, they're quite good friends, I think, and they, they do a few events together, so... 
when they both found out that the other was was thinking about it then then yeah they both they both signed up and yeah it's going to be really exciting the fascination of John Connolly I think it was and I was saying this to our mutual friend John Breen from Waterstones who will yeah. be at the festival John Connolly's use of the English language you you could do a whole festival but how he about how he writes alone absolutely I mean he has this character Charlie Parker yeah. and you just he can go anywhere he can do anything no story would be I mean, I, I, I'll pick up a Charlie Parker book. I won't even read the blurb on the back because I know I'm going to enjoy it mm. and I know the writing is going to be absolutely incredible. Um, you're drawn in from the first page and that's what makes a fantastic crime novel for me, you know? Mm, you had to get you from the first page. Yeah. You have Now, you're, you're, you're talking to me yourself on the Sunday. I am with Andrea Mara. Yeah. Um, and again, I'm a huge fan of Andrea Mara. Everybody knows the name Andrea Mara at the moment. She's on fire. Um, but yeah, so she, she kind of takes these... Um, domestic situations mm. that every normal person's worst nightmare and she she draws you into her books with that and, and makes it a reality for people. I read uh, Hide and Seek while I was on holidays and uh, in the middle of that book my own four-year-old child was asking me to play Hide and Seek constantly and I was like no <laughs> I'm not playing that game ever again. <laughs> yeah that's that's Andrea's new one she was actually on the show about it a few yeah. weeks back and, and once again she's taken an everyday situation that could happen to any of us and she's turned it into a terrifying story yeah and, and she does that so well i mean i don't if you read all her fault was yes. her previous book and same thing is it's it's a simple thing like a child going on a play date and um, that everybody does every day and all of a sudden the play date never existed and the child is gone nobody knows where they are and it's just oh it, it's 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 a nightmare scenario so you have to keep turning the page and you have to keep and it makes you relate things back to your own life very much as well you know i'll be talking to yourself at that event the same event yeah. too about about Lindsay and, and where she's going. She's going for the television. Uh, can you tell me more than you did the last time? Yeah, so I, I mean, it's, it's, it's obviously it's such a long, slow process, but a big step forward lately was that um, a scriptwriter has come on board in the past in the past few weeks, and she's incredible. So we, we, we had this chat, myself and herself, and she's actually former, um, former RAF herself. So she's, she has the military background. She gets Lindsay Ryan very, very well. Um, so that's where we are at the moment now. So she's, she's doing up um, a full series outline now and we're hoping to, to make the formal pitch in September. Yeah. You, you said to me the last time we were talking that you were concerned that you wouldn't be able to locate it in Cork. She might have to go to the UK. Mm. Is that a possibility still? It's a probability, yeah, really, yeah. yeah. So it's a pity, but at the same time, if you keep the character, yeah, I suppose the most important thing for me is my my characters, and it's the same when I start to write any book, the character is the most important thing, and the story develops around that. So, for me, whatever happens with the TV series, Lindsay Ryan has to stay Lindsay Ryan. That's the most important thing, and the same with the supporting characters. Yeah. I love all of them just as much as I love her. Um, and Frank has to get a look in, of course, the dog, which he does. <laughs> so these are all the very, very important things. Right, right. And we talk more about that at the event on yeah. Sunday, so no, no spoilers. So across the weekend, and there's a number of sailings in and out every day, and are there still tickets available? 
Um, the, the Friday night, the opening night is completely chock-a-block, so there's nothing left for that. Um, Saturday is, I, I, I think Saturday is very close to being sold out if it's not sold out already. Um, and Sunday is very, very busy. So um, the, the final event on Sunday is up until, it, it's a 12.30 sailing and it's back at 4.30 and that's the festival drawing to a close. Um, and on the Sunday you have, again, the behind the scenes tour and we have Philip Davison in, in the tunnels and we have Conal Creedon who is of course a Cork legend mm. um, he'll be performing in the cells who I, I think Conal actually spent a good bit of time on Spike <laughs> when it was a prison um, in, in, in you know on the right side of the cells <laughs> I should say um, but he did he has, no, don't he, has he tell you about that himself he, I hope so I hope so he has his own history with Spike Island so we had to bring Conal back um, but yeah and then there's myself and Andrea and of course there's workshops as well mm. then so we have uh, you know a creative writing workshop with Kevin Doyle who is a fantastic writer mm. himself um, we have a screenwriting workshop with Philip Davison who according to Bob De- Geldof is Ireland's best kept secret <laughs> um, and we have a meet the publisher event and that is actually sold out the meet the publisher event with Liberty's Press I think everybody they say everyone has a book in them and you know in this world of technology and screens and television and streaming and you name it it's there the joy of a book the joy of sitting reading look where we are today sitting out here on a, on a gorgeous afternoon and if i was here on my own i'm sure you're the same i'd have a book and a cup of coffee absolutely absolutely there, there's no better way to pass your time and I, I was just saying earlier like i've i've gone big into audiobooks at the moment and you listen to some authors themselves like i listened to graham norton's books lately and he read them himself and it's just it's absolutely lovely it gives you a whole other feel for for the characters and a whole feel for the you know the story itself but yeah oh god any i, I do think anybody has a book in them especially people who read a lot and mm. um, I, th- I think they all have their own characters and their old scenarios in their heads that that can and should make it onto paper. So from that idea that you had uh, on Culture Night last year to being here at the start of the Spike Island Literary Festival, it's a big adventure Michelle. It's huge and it's certainly not the the simple undertaking <laughs> that I thought it would be this time last year but um, I will say that I, I've, I've talked to some fantastic people like I've talked to people in the in the arts office in the Cork County Libraries and from other literary festivals as well so from the Dingle Literary Festival the organisers there they, they're all fantastic I mean there's a fantastic community there and um, so before I started anything with this I talked to all those people they all gave me advice um, and so I, I had a good I had a good basis to start with and I was kind of I suppose I had in mind I, I knew I'd get some fantastic talent from Cork to mm. take place so we were always going to have a really good festival but yeah. I suppose it's just I should have said that a minute or two ago I mean it's astounding and I say this regularly on the programme and I mean every word of it it's astounding the quality of writing in Cork. It is, and 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 the people that are coming to the island and the people that you know the names that we hear every day—they're only the tip of the iceberg. There's so many more. Cove alone has a huge, um, a huge writing scene, and you know we have our readers and writers festival down here once a year as well. That it's it's just the talent is phenomenal, and there's not enough festivals in the world to accommodate it all. But yeah, it's we're we're so lucky in Cork. We really are. Well, if anybody does want to get the last few tickets, 
what's the address or email or Facebook where can they go so through the Spike Island yeah. website actually there's, it, just log on to spikeisland.ie and it'll bring you straight to um, a tickets the tickets link so you can get your tickets there have a successful festival Michelle thanks so much PJ and I'll see you there and that's it for today and for this week the programme edited by Fergal Barry produced and researched by Richard Vickery have a good weekend I'll talk to you Monday just after nine Hi I'm Daniel founder of Pretty Litter did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain I learned this the hard way after losing my cat Gingy so I created Pretty Litter a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colours saving you money and potentially your cat's life Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to PrettyLitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Are you ready for truly hydrated skin? Meet Hyaluronic Body Serum, a breakthrough in body care from Osea. It's clinically proven to instantly increase hydration by 161%. Their lightweight, fast-absorbing serum delivers 24 hours of nonstop hydration for silky smooth skin without the sticky afterfeel. Osea's latest innovation combines the magic of their best-selling Hyaluronic Sea Serum with a new formula that's good for the whole body and five types of hyaluronic acid to target every layer of the skin. Osea is a women-founded, women-led brand that's been crafting seaweed-powered products for nearly 30 years. The best part? Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code SUMMER.